Welcome to another episode of Thoughts of a Techno Wizard. It is 9.55 a.m. And today I think I want to talk about solar punk. So um, yesterday I've been looking at a lot of solar punk stuff. Uh, I've been looking at it for a while now, but went some more into depth about what is solar punk and things like that. Um, in addition to all that, I've been doing some calls and whatnot, interviewing folks for this uh, uh, management position at the arcade so um, you know it was, it was mostly that um, scheduling new times looking at applicants and all this, this that and the others kind of boring but <laughs> it is what it is um, not, nothing too much besides all that I'm trying to think I should probably do like a, a retro retrospective at the end of the day um, I used to do that but uh, fell behind but anyways um solar punk and um this actually dovetails well with the other thing other major thing i did yesterday which was doing a another stream another live stream of the uh reading hegel's phenomenology of spirit um so this is going to be an interesting uh combination <laughs> Hegel's philosophy and solar punk. What do they have in common? <laughs> um, so which to start with? I think I'll start with Hegel. So in the... F what, what section was it? 15, 16 to 18 or something like that? In this section of uh, the preface of Phenomenology, Phenomenology of Spirit, Hegel was talking about um, how the... the like. The demands of, of science, of philosophy, is such that we we're, we're, we want to understand the world, right? We want to be able to describe and explain all the, everything that there is, <laughs> the whole, the absolute, if you will. And um, he talks about how, unfortunately, there's a, there's a huge problem. Um, in his time, in the 1800s, which which is crazy because a lot of what he was talking about is still relevant today. But <laughs> he was talking about in his time, there's this problem of people using one way of seeing the world to kind of explain everything else, right? Um, they use like this esoteric knowledge in, in one area, such as physics or something like that, right? And try to explain the entire world through a physics lens, like, like saying, "Oh, everything can be can be explained through physics." Um, and he put it really well. I can't remember the exact words, but um, I think one phrase he put it is that it creates a a uh, goodness. What's the phrase? It's such a beautiful phrase. Um, monocultural, no, monochromatic lens. No, that's, that's not even the exact one. But basically, yeah. <laughs> it creates a kind of monochromatic lens of the world, right? When you use one shape to try and fit or try and describe everything else through that one shape, through that one color, right? It creates a monochromatic lens of the world. Um, it's the same problem with, like, you know, a hammer sees everything as a nail, that sort of thing. And, it, and it, it's funny because uh, it relates to what I was saying yesterday, too, about... Um, polymaths and how they can change their perspectives and everything like that. Um, 
when a, when you try to describe the world as a physicist or as an economist or you know as a, a, a sociologist or a psychologist or whatever right all these different ways of knowing all these different areas of knowledge are attempts of us trying to understand the world the absolute but if you try to use that one lens to describe the entirety of the absolute then you're necessarily you're necessarily stripping away that that rich diversity of reality right and so uh, he goes on to say how the the demands for philosophy is is to you know go beyond just looking at it from one way you have to grapple you have to grapple with knowledge and you have to um, then express that knowledge right so knowledge in and of itself the comprehension of you know the absolute or the world or whatever is a <laughs> I love this word a dialectic you know it's a back and forth between grappling and expressing between trying to understand every perspective right and trying to express all those perspectives um he he points it out how before he I think he has a phrase something that goes something along the lines of uh the idea of god I'm deeply paraphrasing but <laughs> the idea the idea of god submerges the the self-conscious the self the the spirit it submerges the, that that idea instead of preserves it so what he's saying there is that um when people th think of the, the divine, right, God or any other type of divine type of idea, it often basically drowns the self, the individual, the individual experiences, the, 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 the personal, you know, rich experiences that we have into this big overarching thing. And you hear this all the time in religion, like, it's not you that's important, it's, it's about God's plan, right? <laughs> you hear that all the time. It's God's purpose, it's God's, you hear that all the time. And what that does is it basically drowns your own personal experiences as well as the, the desire to understand and to comprehend those experiences and the, and the breadth of those experiences all into this overarching concept of God or any other. It doesn't have to be God either. It could be literally any other overarching thing like politics or economy, um, capitalism, um, um, government, whatever, right? Like any system that in which you believe, in which you believe is more important or better or, or, or yeah, more important in a better way to describe your the entirety of your existence, right? <laughs> If you believe it, 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 that that adequately describes your entirety, the entirety of your existence is more important than, than your than than the grappling of your in the per, your personal pursuit of knowledge, right? That becomes problematic because what it does is, is it strips you once again of the desire to pursue that knowledge and to to create a comprehensive understanding of the world because you just say, oh, you know. Uh, God does it the government does it you know the capitalism does it right that that explains everything like no it doesn't explain everything furthermore once again it creates a monochromatic lens so it's it's a it's a boring it's a boring thing right he, he says that word too I forgot how he says it but 
I, I probably should have, uh, you know, should have wrote, wrote down some of these quotes. But I highly um, recommend you just go check out the video, um, whether on my YouTube or Dr. Sattler, uh, Gregory Sattler, his uh, YouTube channel. Anyways, or just go pick up the book yourself. You know, it's really hard to read <laughs> without, you know, um, somebody like Dr. Sattler explaining and commenting on it. But anyways, yeah, he it just it's just really beautiful how he goes into depth about these different things. Um, and it's crazy because it's, it's still relevant to, the, to to this day, where a lot of um, spiritual leaders or you know scientific um, uh, thinkers or you know political um, pundits, you know these people kind of see the world through their own lens and kind of refuse to apply their uh, or rather yet yeah, refuse to let go of that lens to apply other other folks perspectives and that is deeply problematic because uh it, it there, there's so much about the world that is so incredibly complex and interesting and and everything like that and the way in which we understand the world is just one way in which we can understand the world right so if you if you really think that your way of understanding the world it doesn't matter how smart you are is the only way then you're, you're you're sadly mistaken. You're <laughs> you're way out the mark, off the mark. And so, to me, this this uh, dovetails quite nicely with um, solar punk, right? Because today we see a lot of in, in fiction and any other type of future futuristic ideas about the world. You see a very dystopian look, perspective, right? Cyberpunk. Even steampunk and all this other stuff. This, like we, we see the world from a perspective of, oh, here's what to avoid. But then it, it, you talk about it so much that people think that that's the only world we can have. And that any other thing is unav- and, and that world is unavoidable. Right? Because people, <laughs> you haven't shown people, you know, what the alternatives are. And how we can get there. So a lot of cyberpunk and, and and many of these other dystopian, you know, outlooks, you know, 1984, um, all these, uh, uh, Ready Player One even, it's technically a dystopian, <laughs> um, Snow Crash, you know, <laughs> we, we see people, Matrix even, like we see people building towards this, right, with the metaverse, like I, I really enjoy the idea of the metaverse but i'm not gonna lie of course it's the, the entire idea of the metaverse is based in is, is snow crash it's from snow crash and then ready play one in the matrix like it's built in a dystopian view of the world it's it it was not intended as a as a oh here's what we should build it was intended as here's what we should not do or here's like you know the the silver lining of <laughs> of a really bad situation you know we can point all day to all these dystopian um, fictions and novels that were incredibly influential, but because they're the only things re- that we really ever get to see about the future, then most people it, it creates its own monochromatic lens, right? Most people see the world through that lens, and they they can't view themselves outside of that. Like they can't. Many people can't imagine a world outside of capitalism, for instance. They say, as <laughs> many people think the only alternative to capitalism is communism. 
or you know we have to have capitalism because it's the best thing we have yes yeah, not great but it's the only thing that we can do it's the, it's the best thing we can do right <laughs> you see this really twisted idea of the world because of that monochromatic lens and Hegel goes on to say that you know when you when you look at the world through that one you know lens and that one shape you have this one shape of the world right you create a shape and say you know oh here's here's something he said too about this he said uh something along the lines of these there are, there are kind of two sides to this right one side is like the people who are actually trying to create the comprehensive understanding of the world and all this other stuff and the other side takes the uh the shape of those things right it makes you think that it, it's it's answering the the deep questions that is that is getting is it's explaining how the world works and it's and it's also going beyond and explaining things that the that the scientists or the other side couldn't really explain completely right so saying yeah i can i can do everything for you i can show you the whole shape of the absolute and it's taking you know the the formula of of understanding things and knowing things and describing things and then you know um claiming that they can do they can show you everything else they can show you the world but it's 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 um insubstantial it doesn't actually give what it's given right it doesn't actually um deliver on that it just makes you think that it does and we see that same problem with capitalism right with economy with econo economics this idea that you can explain the world through 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 the marketplace <laughs> and everything makes sense by supply and demand and this that and the other right and so you have these cookie cutter this cookie cutter explanation of economics market free market right and then you apply that to everywhere and all it does it it divorces true diversity it divorces true understanding of the world it makes it extremely difficult to get a deep fulfilling understanding and we see that today you know people call it late stage capitalism or whatever but in reality it's, it's just the fact that you can't explain the world through one lens people love to think that capitalism free market and all this other stuff explains it so well but it doesn't it explains some things really well sure capitalism definitely has done some great things but it's also done some really bad things. I've said that before, so I won't go down that line anymore. But with solar punk, it supplies some alternatives. Right? It shows you the, how the world can be different. Some other shapes, some other you know um, ways of looking at the world. And so, what I really like about solar punk. Oh well, briefly to explain solar punk, I highly suggest first of all you look up the solar punk manifesto. It's really short, on the uh, anarchist library. Um, but essentially, solar punk is the idea that we can create a world that is kind of post hierarchy. And um, well, first of all, punk, right? Punk is a, is a kind of rebellion. The term punk is usually used as a form of rebellion against the system or, you know, the current uh, way of doing things. So you have a whole bunch of different, you know, things. You got cyberpunk and steampunk and 
you know all these other places it's, of course it started many of it started out of art and things like that but it pretty much went into a lot of different places such as politics and stuff and solar punk was a response to cyberpunk and steampunk whereas cyberpunk is looking at you know kind of um trying to fight back against the uh the corporal corporal world it creates a um like i said a kind of dystopian view where yes you may be able to fight the system but it's still within the system like it's still rampant capitalism just destroying everything and then you have some heroes within there trying to come back from the brink right and steampunk um is kind of a retro form of that and um looks at uh other ways of doing it this, this you can go to whole thing like diesel punk all this other stuff but solar punk looks at how can we take this technology and make it more um sustainable make it more generative make it more um kind of stop the world from coming apart right before it gets to the brink right it's an active fight against you know um the destruction of the world and so the aesthetics might be you might be very familiar with the aesthetics every time you see things like you know a whole city of you know really beautiful um greenery everywhere uh and you have parks and all this all this all this other stuff and um it's about local fauna local local not farms but like um perma gardens things like that um uh, but there's a difference between that and greenwashing cuz greenwashing is like when you have a capitalistic tent when you have a, a typical capitalism capitalistic city but with a green tent so for instance you have like this huge vertical farming buildings like <laughs> you have a whole bunch of plants you know just on a, a super super tall skyscrapers and things like that like that's just greenwashing that doesn't that doesn't change the idea of what a city is a solar punk city is more such that you don't really need you realize that we don't actually need all these skyscrapers cuz the only <laughs> reason that we even have a whole bunch of skyscrapers is because of um really bad really bad city planning and 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 uh urban sprawl and all this other stuff where uh city government can't build outwards because of all these single family homes in the subur- suburbs so they have to grow upwards and you you build a bunch of you know skyscrapers and on top of that is ego right <laughs> a bunch of companies or governments wanting to you know show how powerful or how rich they are and so they build upwards um Yes, there's a, a nice little aesthetic to to skyscrapers. I'm not go, I'm not gonna lie, I enjoy it. You know, some some city skylines like that. I think it looks pretty cool. But the fact is that we we don't actually need a whole bunch of skyscrapers, right? And in the ideal kind of environment, most people won't feel the need to build these skyscrapers, right? And is I'm not going to go into the whole problems with them because there's a whole problem problems with uh, the fact that many skyscrapers aren't really sustainable and that they you they're extremely wasteful, <laughs> yeah, a big waste of space and and uh, resources and all this other stuff. Um, even if they're cool, but <laughs> with solar punk, you have uh, a lot of these walkable cities, kind of like what I was talking about before with urban planning, is that you have a lot of walkable cities. Where you can have um, easy way of getting any sort of resources that you want. So, for instance, you know, local food, um, locally made products, locally made resources, and everything like that is right there in your local environment. 
so it's inherently more sustainable it's inherently more um community communicable like a it's an actual community furthermore you use of course generative energy so renewable energies like of course solar <laughs> um, but also maybe nuclear right and any other type of uh renewable energy resources wind and all this other stuff so it's inherently a future in which is a better kind of alternative to where we are today um but a big thing that i noticed people are talking about is that some people were worried that it's, it's more it seems to be more of an aesthetic and it seems to be difficult to turn it into a a real i don't say real but or, or a popular form of fiction because it's it looks like it doesn't have enough conflict which is such a such a weird idea there it's like people were complaining that <laughs> the solar punk kind of aesthetic and idea wouldn't make for good fiction because it doesn't have you know that crazy conflict like cyberpunk does but whenever i see it i'm like it does have a lot of conflict it's like once again it's fighting against the current system and, it's, and people assume it to be a utopic idea um and therefore it has to be wrong but as we all know utopia doesn't really exist right what one person's utopia is is another person's dystopia like it's <laughs> it's not really you know a realistic thing but solar punk it's a once again it's an alternative and furthermore there's a whole bunch of different types of punks you know you got hydrant punk and uh what do you call it photo punk or whatever like <laughs> you know this is just one lens to look at the world um and what i really like about solar punk too is that it's almost inherently anarchistic anarchic or however you say that word it uses a lot of the same principles of anarchy and the reason why I think that's really important is because anarchy in and of itself inherently allows you to use multiple lenses, multiple perspectives, multiple ways of organizing, you know, your environment and your, your organization or whatever, right? Because all it says is that there's no um, rulers, no coercion. So you can have, you know, a voluntary association of people in which certain people may be the leaders or, you know, whatever, but it's voluntary right today we, we we say our companies are voluntary and things like that but it's not really because once again like i pointed out before there are no alternatives if you wanted to not work you can't do that because all the entire our the entire western world is based on you know people owning land and you know you having to pay taxes to the government uh, the state telling you what to do all this other stuff. And people claim this. This when people claim, oh, if you don't like it, you can move to you know Africa or Ameri or, or South America, or whatever, Argentina, or whatever. But <laughs> again, people don't realize that a major reason why these places are so like messed up and struggling is because of these Western civilizations that we have, these imperialistic, you know, capitalistic systems, because it's built on exploiting, you know those levels of production and those resources and all this other stuff in order to create the life that we enjoy here in America. And that's what people don't seem to realize. Like, if you really want to build a better future, a better world and we, where we can enjoy, you know, whatever luxuries or whatever that we want, 
we have to realize the costs. We have to think about, you know, where these different resources and products and things are coming from. What it's doing to those local economies and those local places in which we're taking it from. Again, I've talked about that plenty of times. What I I really want to do is try to, you know, picture um, what a solar punk kind of world is. All right. Because some other things that I was, that's kind of baking in my mind is the idea of of money and uh, currency and things like that. Like, you hear this all the time about how we can't have a system without, you know, money, without current current currency. Now I always have to wonder why. Because once again, like much of human civilization has existed be- before any type of monetary system that includes bartering. That includes bartering. Before we had once again a gift giving type of economy, type of system where it wasn't actually about trade. It was just, you know, people, you know, living the life they want to live. You know, hunter-gatherers type of thing, type of situation. And you gave your resources freely to other folks. Now, and it's, it is interesting. It's not like it's not with without complete expectation. But it's also not with immediate expectation. Like, it's not a trade. It's not a barter. Once again, it, it's a... It's, it's really weird because people call this... People call hunter-gatherers primitive, you know, because they didn't have a monetary system or, you know, a written system or this, that, and the other. But once again, as we know, like, it's a negotiation and, and social cohesion is a very complex behavior. And maybe it's because, you know, we don't have very much of that today that we don't realize how complex a behavior it is. You know, imagine when you're talking to your friends or your family. If you give your friends or your family, you know, a shirt or something, right, or a hoodie. Like, I just got this really cool hoodie for my birthday. All my siblings really like it, too. They want to be able to wear it once someday, you know, whatever. If I give them this hoodie, I'm not going to expect them to give me $10 or $30 or whatever, I, you know, <laughs> was paid for this hoodie. Um... Or as a loan or something like that. Nor am I going to, you know, expect them to give me something in return. Like, okay, I gave you this hoodie, you give me, you know, those those shoes. Alright, I'm not, that's not the expectation. I might give them it and then say, okay, yeah, give it back to me someday. Alright. Or if I'm, you know, giving them something else that I don't want. They have too much of it, I'm not going to wear. I have some extra hoodies. I'm like, okay, here. Alright. It's a gift, but at the same time, there is an expectation that, okay, I've given you something, so later on some down the line, if, you know, I ask you for, for something, I, w- I, w- I would like to, you know, to get that. That's not a, however, it's, it's, a, it's complex, right? Because it's not a, you know, I gave you that before, 10 days ago, therefore you have to give me this. Like, no, it's, it's not coercive. It's like, it's, it's a, it's a uh, influence. It's a kind of a weight you know on the scales a little bit you know i have to have some have some you know you kind of owe me right you, you have that 
conversation back and forth, right? So it's it's inherently a more complex relationship than if it was a simple um, trade or a simple buy. So this is why I think, if you follow with me here, please, <laughs> this is why I think the gift-giving economy is actually more complex than a monetary economy or a bartering economy. Because a monetary economy is only complex at scale because there's so many people doing these transactions. Right? Conceptually, it's a very simple idea. <laughs> and it is useful, right? And I think in a solar punk world, we can have kind of both of these. Here's why. Because and I know a lot of you know anarchists might, might be like, what? Are you anarcho-capitalist or something? Like, no. It's not about capital. It's not about owning things or anything like that. It's just facilitating trade in different ways. And this is, once again, why I like solar punk. Because it's kind of open-ended. Right? It doesn't say, this is how you have to do it. It's just like here is a general <laughs> direction of you know where we should go. Here's a general aesthetic, and here's a general you know alternative, right? And it gets you kind of thinking and 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 hoping and and building that better world, right? So here in my head, here is how I see it. Sometimes it's useful to have a monetary trade, right? Like if I raise goats and you, you know, make clothes. How many goats? Will give me a shirt, or how many shirts will you know? Will I trade for a goat? It's it's a really it's a really complex and unnecessarily complex you know um, calculation. Like I don't want to have to calculate how many shirts I should you know get for a goat or vice versa, right? So a monetary system in this case makes sense because they say, okay, my goats are worth a hundred dollars. Maybe that's cheap, whatever. But my goats are worth $100. Or rather, let me turn that back around. Rather, I would take $100 for my goat. All right? And you, if you want, you know, to buy my goat, you give me $100. Then I have that $100 and I could spend it on other people who would take, you know, $100 or however many dollars for anything else they have however the reason why I switch that up is because we see this problem with money today is like it's a pro- the, the classic good arts problem the good art um, good arts law as as uh, generalized by what's her name um, Marilyn Strathern right where the measurement becomes the goal right when it, when it, when a Measurement ceases to be. I'm trying to get the exact wording. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know why I try to get the exact wording. I'm terrible at memorizing things. <laughs> Maybe I need to stop telling myself that. And anyways, when the measurement ceases to become, you know, a measurement and becomes the new goal, it ceases to become a good form of measurement, essentially. Right. So if. I typically, I, I mentioned this before, I won't go again to it today, but the idea is obvious there. But the problem with, with it, with money, is that 
If I say my goat is worth $100, what is $100? Like, $100 is not a thing. It's, it's just a number. It's just a, an idea, right? It's not like my goat is worth $100. It's, it's that I would take this, this monetary number, right? This, this random number <laughs> as for, for, to exchange for my goat. And the reason why I would take that number is because I can use that number, or I can I can use the things that the dollars, right, that you give me, those amount of dollars, as trade for something else down the line. Right? So it's a form of trade. So it's a it's a it's a uh um goodness, why am I losing my words? But yeah, it's basically it's a form of trade. So that it's a vehicle for, for, for exchange. So later on, you know, I can do something with that money. I can do something with those dollars. If I said my, my goat is worth $100, then I have to ask, what else is worth $100? Or, you know, why is it worth $100? And what if tomorrow, you know, my goat, I think my goat is worth $110? You know? In order for something to be, to say my goal is worth $100, I need to have a centralized, there's it, it, like a centralized market, right? Saying, telling me that my goal is worth $100. This is where the, the, the market comes in, right? Because it tells you what things are worth based on what other people are buying. But that becomes a problem because once again, I'm losing the fact that really what I'm looking to do I'm not looking to see what my, my, my items are worth, right? Because that's just a measurement. It's, that's just supposed to be a measurement, a moment-to-moment a -moment measurement, right? It, 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 the minute you create a marketplace, it seems like a good idea. It's one of those things that seems like a good idea. Like, oh, yes, yeah, so obviously, you know, I can, if Sally will, will buy this for, you know, $100 and, you know, Joe will buy that there and Tyrone will buy that there. Like, it seems obvious. But it gets you to, to, to um, make that classic mistake of then trying to put a value on each of your goats. Instead of just, you know, making, enjoying the process of, you know, raising goats. And then one day if you want to trade it, then you figure out, you know, how you can trade it. I'm not sure if, you're, if, if I'm getting the nuance here, if I'm communicating this nuance. Let me say this another way. Where I'm going with here is that you, you should have multiple avenues of trade that's recognized by the community. So today, if I want to trade, you know, if I, if I want to trade away my goat, you have to ask, you know, what do you actually want? Do I want to get rid of goats or do I want some shirts? Right. If I say I want some shirts, then I can say, OK, you know, the best way to get the shirts is I can ask, you know, can I have those shirts? The person can give it to me for free because maybe they just don't want the shirts. Right. So you don't even need to, to try and calculate how how much they're worth and all this other stuff or barter or anything like that. You just say, OK, thanks. I got some shirts. Simple. Right. But what if the person, you know, needs some money? What if the person wants something else? They say, yeah, 
I don't know if I want the shirts. But, you know, I really need some water or some, some, something else, right? Maybe they want your goats. Maybe they want some cheese or whatever. And so now you have some complexity. You say, okay, I don't have water or cheese. I have some goats. You can give them your goats, but then you have to figure out, okay, how many goats for this and how many goats for that. So in that case, it makes sense to say, okay, you know, I want $10 because that person who's selling shirts, who has shirts, they're saying, okay, $10 will get me some water and some cheese, <laughs> right? And she's like, oh, I have $10. Boom, I can give that to you. Bam, right? So in that case, it makes sense to have a monetary system. But once again, like, it, it depends. It will change in the day, by the day, right? Because not every day will you want this money or need the money. And if everything costs money, then it requires everybody to participate and to make money, right? So it inherently changes the relationship of the community from enjoying what you're doing, which is making goats or making shirts or making cheese, into making money. This is a common psychological problem. Right? And with it comes a whole bunch of other psychological issues. Like we see this with monopoly. When you start making money or any other type of system of value where you think you have more value than others, then you begin to have a kind of hierarchical idea of you being better than others because you have more money and all this other stuff. So it inherently comes with it more problems. And... And many of those problems are kind of unnecessary, right? Because you could have got along just fine with a gift-giving economy for a lot of things. The only times where a gift-giving economy falls short is when you're trying to trade things in which nobody has or trying to get things in which nobody really has or nobody wants to give up. And so creating a monetary system for that necessarily incentivizes you to try and manipulate people to give you things that they don't actually want to give up or to buy things that they don't actually want. Hope you see where I'm going here right now. So to me, an idea kind of solar punk city or idea or or you know environment, world, is one in which we can figure out a way to facilitate different types of trade and different types of relationships. Such that for most things in life, you don't actually need money. You don't have to worry about how much money you need to make in order to continue living. <laughs> right? Because I think that's a dystopian idea in and of itself. The fact that you have to make a certain amount of money in order to for- afford to stay alive. Like that's kind of silly. If instead we have a local community in which all the food is grown within the environment, maybe you make some food or somebody else makes some food, or you can hunt for some food if we, you know, <laughs> revert a lot of this suburbia and all this other stuff back into wildlife, you know, you'll be able to, um, you'll be able to do some hunting again. Or you can do a futuristic kind of really cool thing. This is an idea I had. It's going to take a tangent a little bit, but I would love to talk about this. An idea for, for a futuristic 
hunter-gatherer society where you have a virtual reality or even augmented reality um, experience where you can hunt for things that are virtual. You hunt for virtual meat and virtual, you know, foods or whatever. And then once you, you know, killed that virtual thing, it gets 3D printed right there or, you know, in your home. So basically you can 3D print food. It's like Star Trek. You can 3D print food. And that food is grown in, you know, uh, vats and things like that. That sounds terrible, but <laughs> it's the same way beer is made. It's the same way a lot of um, yeast is made and all these other, you know, products that we already have today. It's how Impossible Burgers and Impossible, uh, you know, Impossible Meats makes their stuff. And I think it's going to be the way of the future. Where you take, you know, cultured cells and you grow it in a vat or something like that and then you can turn it into any type of flavor or meat or whatever you can infuse as many nutrients as you need right because at the end of the day a lot of this is biology it's chemistry once we have a good idea of what makes different foods nutritious you can put all those nutrients into the food so instead of you having to you know um, farm for everything or hunt everything physically you can pull out the raw resources from our waste, from space, you know, from the environment and things like that, and grow it into these different places. And because it's on demand, you don't have to worry about it being mass produced. Because that's the, a lot, the mass production, the industrial industrialization of things is what causes an, an immense amount of problems in an ecosystem. It's because you're constantly, constantly taking from the environment and not thinking about how and when you replace it. If these, these foods and things like that are grown locally, are grown in a vat locally in your actual community, then you're only really taking from your community that which can be replaced back into the environment. So you're naturally seeing what will be, what the renewal cycle is. And this is why hunter-gatherer societies were so successful for such a long period of time for hundreds of thousands of years because you can literally see when you hunt something you can see that there is less there and so you know that you can't hunt all the deer in one year you have to hunt just the you know uh, just a certain amount maybe the injured or you know the old or you know maybe one or two really good young ones or, or prime prime you know bucks or whatever right you only hunt a certain amount because you know they need to reproduce the next year. So inherently gets you thinking about the ecological balance of the world around you. This is what we need. This is what we lost and what we need to bring back in a solar punk or any other type of futuristic world. Right. If we get most of those nutrients for that we grow in a vat from our waste, from our environment, we say, OK, we need this. We need some phosphorus. We need some. You know, um, uh, zinc. We need some. These these people just just went up the road and they came back down. Like what? And where are they lost? <laughs> Anyways, we can we can make a list right of all the nutrients that you need in our food, and we say, okay, how do we get those nutrients? Well, we need from we can get it from this, and you know we can get it from this amount of waste. So you have a pile of waste or any other you know resources that you have that you're going to pull those nutrients from. And as you pull, you can see that pile getting let, getting lower, and you can see you know your your food getting your resources getting um, greater. 
And so inherently gets you to think, okay, we, if you want to have some luxury meat, like meat every day, you realize that meat is really expensive. So you're not, <laughs> you're going to be thinking about, okay, maybe I don't need meat every day. Right? And this idea, of course, is very, um, unfortunately, uh, hard <laughs> for a lot of uh, people to wrap their minds around. They're like, oh, I, I need my meat every day. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> the human body was built to not eat meat every day is built to meet it, eat it every every now and then. You need a little bit of meat. You don't need to meat a whole bunch of, you know, the whole steak or burger every day. I know people are gonna be like, oh, it's my right to have blah 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 blah, right? <laughs> but this is why it's it's really important to have these local communities because you can actually then see the cost of that. So if you want to say, hey, you really want this meat, then you're gonna have to see how much it will cost your community to do that. Furthermore, in these types of communities, when you pair that with the internet, with the ability to communicate and connect with people around the world, it also solves the problem of xenophobia. Because right? then people say, oh, that means you know, if my community wants something more, I'll just go take it from somebody else's community. And that is a huge problem. That is why we started creating this um, these warfares and states and things like that is because when we started aggregating our, all of our resources into different communities, the better strategy began to be to take resources from another community because you know they had a stockpile. But if we have something like the internet, right, and even a solar punk world, then you can have a federation, you can have a, a, a collection of different communities. And when some, if somebody tries to attack you, you can say, oh, this community is trying to attack us. They're trying to take our stuff. And so everybody else will band up against them. So you have a natural, it's like an immune system. It's a natural immune system against coercion, against um, imperialistic or co- co- colonial you know, types of um, aggression. Right? The reason why we, we, we shifted from hunter-gatherer cultures into you know, Neolithic societies was not because hunter-gatherer cultures were, were bad or they were, you know, nobody wanted to live that life. No, people did. And plenty of people turned away from, you know, Neolithic cities and agriculture back into hunter-gatherers. It was actually because there was no immune system against this. It's because it was like a boiling, boiling frog problem, right? Because over the span of decades and even centuries, a society that began to aggregate their food, their resources, slowly over time began to build more hierarchical structures in which, like a parasite, you know, fed the hierarchical structure at the cost of the, the community, at, at least in terms of a um, horizontal uh, consensus base, right? So the creation of a state necessarily feeds and leeches, leeches off you know, the natural cooperation of humans and natural socialization of humans. The creation of vertical hierarchy leeches off the natural cooperation of horizontal hierarchy or horizontal relationships. And without that, that learnings, without being able to look at the, the cost, right, of this by looking at either back in the past or other people 
it's really difficult to notice this as time goes on. Once again, it's a boiling frog situation where you don't notice the rising temperature until it's too late and you're already boiled. You don't, <laughs> you don't really notice the problem of hierarchy until it's too late and, and our hierarchy already has all the power. Like these rich and powerful people ha are now, now become rich and powerful. So it becomes extremely difficult to take that back without, of course, violent, you know, revolution. But when you do a violent revolution and you don't realize how you even got to that, you know, um, that hierarchical structure, how you got to that authoritarian structure, you begin to rebuild an authoritarian structure because you never learned the path from the past. You didn't learn what happened. You didn't realize that you were boiling in some boiling water. And so you go right back into the same pot that you was in. Right? This is why so many revolutions kind of fall apart again. Not only that, but also because other, you know, um, coercive imperialistic interests <laughs> swoop in <laughs> and destabilize the thing, the, the, the area again. But what I'm going here with, with this is that if we want to build a better world, we have to look at how do we build a world in which different communities can live in different ways while at the same time ensuring that we have a natural immune system against coercive interests that would be super aggressive and try to colonize everybody else, right? Because that's, that's another argument. Like, capitalism, it works and, uh, um, and, it's, and, it's, and it's super powerful, you know? People say, oh, we can't do capitalism because, in, you know, an altruistic society would, would collapse, right? And we're here because capitalism is so powerful, right? You can't fight it. That's a defeatist mentality. That's like saying you can't fight viruses in your body because viruses are so, so deadly. Like, obviously we do. We fight them every day, but <laughs> we're not just going to give up and let viruses or cancer or any other disease win. Right? This is why we, you know, we create vaccines and why we try to strengthen our immune system and why we do all these things and live a healthy life. So that we can, you know, live as long as we possibly can. So for our society, right? If you want to create a better society, a better world. How do we create one in which we can fight off the natural, these viruses of whether it's capitalism or authoritarianism or imperialism, colonialism, racism, sexism, all this stuff. How do we fight these viruses? And this is why it's important to look at things from a different lens, right? We view the world so much as an economic way. And say, supply and demand, free market. But because we're viewing everything like in that lens, it's like, once again, the nail, viewing the, I mean, the hammer viewing everything as a nail. Thinking that that's the only way to solve a problem. But what if we view the, view the world as a druid, as a, as a biologist, and we look at it from a stance of, of viruses and this, that, and the other. What if we read the world from, from, from the stance of physics and the, you know, the momentum of capitalism and how it you know, just crushes everything like, like a Sisyphean boulder, you know, <laughs> crushing the, the man going, trying to push it uphill? What if we view the world from a philosophical text? What if we view the world from a, you know, this, that, and the other? We have to change the way we look at the world. We have to change the way we look at how society works in order to envision new ways of building society and new futures. Right? And this is why I really, once again, enjoy Solar Punk because it, it gives you that other lens. 
it makes you think that okay hmm this looks decent this looks doable like when you look at cyberpunk aesthetic it doesn't look super futuristic like it doesn't look like like there's not a whole bunch of spaceships and huge mile high buildings and you know space colonies and all this other stuff it's not like you know or even steampunk where it's like a whole bunch of diesels everywhere and it's like okay we don't really live like that anymore or even cyberpunk right we have these flying cars and really dark gritty environments and like okay it's cool but it's like i don't really want to live there right and solar punk you're just like huh that looks that looks that looks good that looks cool that looks doable right it speaks to some deep aspect of the human psyche i think right it reminds me of um i may have talked about this like months ago but the idea that we have created for ourselves a a zoo we have lived we have created for ourselves a cage in which we put ourselves in like a zoo where our houses are like are like the 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 cages in, or the enclosures that we put you know our our animals in the zoo in like yes to some extent it's it's nice it's better than you know just a small little a uh, small little cage but it's still not our ideal environment and we know this that a lot of zoos you know we're trying to make many people are trying to make zoos more and more um more and more ethical by putting you know bigger enclosures for for giraffes and all this other stuff and try to make it as realistic as possible to their natural environment habitat but and yet (laughs) yet with our houses we don't do that with our workplaces we don't do that we like we treat ourselves almost worse than we treat our animals our pets and things like that like we know for like dogs and everything they need to, to be walked and all this other stuff you need some you know stimulation and all this other stuff we know that zoo animals they need to have a habitat that's very similar to their own natural habitat and yet for ourselves we think that putting ourselves in this four four wall drywall <laughs> is is okay <laughs> like it's really silly we forget that we're an animal and we're we we were raised in we evolved on a on a savanna. We evolved in forests. We evolved in a natural habitat where we see all this greenery and, and water and all this other stuff. And we can actually still see to this day the psychological benefits of being and you know being able to see you know running water, being able to see trees, being able to see you know uh, sunlight and all this other stuff. Like we know that this is. We still need this in order for us to be the best humans that we can be. And so, to me, a solar punk aesthetic kind of kind of speaks to that aspect of us. And it gets us to think, how can we change our lens? How can we change our world? But yeah, I guess I'll end it there. I know I could have, uh, you know, been much more clear with this, and I'll, I'll try to, I'll probably try to refine it. I definitely will try to refine it in one of my newsletters. If not this one coming up, then the next one. I've been falling way back with the newsletter because um, this week has been rough. Um, in addition to, you know, with the whole accident and everything like that, and my mind has just been out out of it. But um, yeah. I think it's one another one of these really interesting and important ideas that I want to talk about in more depth and refine it more and 
you know um, really really look at all the different ways there is to look at this problem uh, but this upcoming newsletter I'm going to be talking about IP so when I get home I need to work on that because I have not <laughs> I have not touched it since like last week so going to be talking about making a refined argument against IP intellectual property as well as um, for abortion and then probably discussing I don't know I'm not sure yet but I think this this I want to make this one very uh, contentious <laughs> I'm going to attack a lot of these ideas of the world maybe I go ahead and throw in capitalism and stuff like that because a lot of these ideas is like you hear some arguments against them here and there but I don't know a lot of these arguments don't seem to are not really aggregated or they don't you know cover enough of the top, enough of the perspectives that I wish for them to cover so I want to see if I can do that myself um yeah, I'm just interested in talking about it so <laughs> but yeah let me know what you think as always about all this stuff again I've been all over the place a little bit or quite a bit so feel free to let me know um, what holes are there in my argument I know there are many and um, if you follow what I'm saying uh, if you agree disagree hit me up and uh We'd love to hear what what kind of world do you all want to live in? You know, it doesn't have to be a solo punk world or it can be pro capitalist. I don't really care. Like I just want to hear people's um ideas of the future. Not your dystopian views, what you want to avoid. Tell me what you're for. What world do you want to live in? What does that look like? But yeah, thank you very much for listening. And um, have a great day. See ya. Bye-bye.